And we are live in the Muscle Intelligence Facebook community for our Q&A. Ashley decided to go without the glasses. I'm going to put them back on. It's just really infected. <laughs> They're cool glasses, though. I know. How are you doing? How are you? Last time I talked to you, you had this air of like, I'm pissed off at the world and say you have this beautiful, happy glow on. You what, were what? you were totally blowing that out of proportion. All okay. I was saying, and I did actually get a lot of responses from people. There's my printer going off 10 minutes late. I actually got a lot of responses from people sending me DMs saying, like, I totally relate with what you're saying. Like, Sure, yeah. I'm not I, saying you're wrong. <laughs> it's not, yeah, I mean, it's not yeah. stopping. I think the key distinction is there's a difference between recognizing that something sucks and wallowing in it, right? Which is something that I don't do. But you know, I mean, again, everybody has good days and bad days. Today I went for a nice walk. I got like 10 minutes of sun, which by Ontario standards is like amazing. I got a good workout in, I drank a lot of coffee this morning. I'm great. Different. What about you? Well, I think my acid test, and I think this is important for everyone to acknowledge it, whether or not I have a great day is, am I getting enough time outside? Like, you know, yesterday I did an hour long bike ride. I did a workout. I did two or three hours outside with my kids. And the rest of the day I was locked in my room like a hermit. And that was literally perfect. And I felt so great. And my perceived well-being was high. And everything just seemed to go a little bit better. Opportunities present themselves. And you're not sitting, as you say, wallowing in your own stresses. So it's definitely important to be outside. And I feel very blessed that I can go outside and see the sun every day. And I know not everyone has that opportunity. So... Yeah, it's important to acknowledge, you know, we live in this little bubble sometimes and there's definitely people out there who are really struggling and I want to make sure that I have an awareness of that. And, you know, listen, we all are very close to having really challenging situations. I think there's a lot of us who are, you know, on the cusp of struggle and I'm just here to provide value and help everyone in the way that I can. And I think it's important to stop and acknowledge this reality that we all, in every moment, we have an opportunity to move toward pleasure or move away from pain. And I think right now, most people are moving away from pain. And I think that's normal. And I think it's to be expected. But the quicker I feel we can move toward some desired pleasure, some desired outcome, the faster we can switch that focus away from the rainy day to more toward like, hey, there's a sunny day coming because there always is, right? And And speculating on what's happening in the world right now doesn't help anybody, right? The only thing that you need to do is put yourself, as I often say, is put yourself at the end of the rainbow where the pot of gold is and, and figure out where the rainbow is. There's always a rainbow. Will it be different? Probably. Will it be different than what you've been doing? Great. But like now's the time to build the skill set and don't end up being like the masses, right? If this is a, a high level manipulation, if there is going to be something catastrophic that happens here, okay. How do I then build the skill set, the unimpeachable credentials, as my great friend John Berardi says, that will allow me to, to be someone who provides massive amounts of value and creates a transformative impact on the world? And that's really what's speaking to my soul now is this idea of a transformative impact, right? How can we make the greatest impact in the world? When people are stressed, it means they have a greater opportunity for you to help. So hopefully all the listeners, I know everyone listening to this podcast is this amazing community of people who, yes, we all want to support each other, but yes, we all see in ourselves that we have the ability to change the world. And that's such a beautiful community to be part of. And we see how it shines in on the Facebook community. So all you guys live listening to this, thank you. And we're here to answer your questions. 
I think one of the things that has been coming up for me over the last like week or two that I think is kind of important to acknowledge, and it's, I believe, sort of something that's a thread that runs through a lot of the messaging that you give as well, is the idea of learning from the situations that are less than optimal, including the situation that we're in, and taking things from the negative parts of it. And this concept that it's big in Stoic philosophy, and I know that you kind of speak to this a lot too, this idea of like negative visualization and like, okay, well, if the worst does happen, or if this crappy thing does happen, okay, then what does that feel like? What does that look like? What can we take from it? And I've been having this conversation with a lot of different people talking about when this is over, because it's going to be over at some point, and we are going to move on at some point, what are the things that we're going to take from this? Are we going to be more prepared as individuals, as family units, as a society, knowing that the sort of veneer of like the perfectly operating world is just that? It's a veneer that can go away at any moment. Like that doesn't have to be a negative thing. Like that shattering of this illusion that, we, that we're having right now doesn't have to be seen as a bad thing. We can move out of this more prepared human beings, right? And I think that that's sort of the, the positive that I'm starting to take from it is if we all come out of this smarter and a little bit more prepared just to face anything, that's a great thing, right? Pain is just a signal, right? It's a signal to take action. And I think that's the thing I teach my kids and that's the thing I think everyone should acknowledge is any type of discomfort is should be seen as a signal to change, a signal to take action. If there's something that's that's bugging you, stop, smile, say thank you, and now take immediate massive action. And I think some people create the and it's life is all about the response, right? Life is all about the entrained habitual response. So if I have an entrained habitual response from childhood that says, Oh no, there's something that's uncomfortable, I should just sit in this and wallow in it for a while, or I should just avoid it. What well, doesn't get better, right? So the only way through pain is through pain, right? You have to endure it. You have to sit there and go, why is this here? How do I make it better? How do I make it never come back to me again? It's absolutely right. It's this concept of becoming anti-fragile, being hyper aware of all the things that you're doing. Again, sometimes in life, your greatest blessing is also your greatest curse, right? So if, and I'll speak to my example, when I was competing as a bodybuilder, at some point, someone came along and said, hey, Ben, here's $200,000 to endorse my product. And I was like, sweet. I like the product. Sounds good. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wake up one day and you get a phone call that says, hey, Ben, we're taking away your contract. And you go, fuck. So during the time, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing that's happened to me. I'm so excited. I get to live this comfortable life. They pull it away. And you're like, man, I haven't been putting things in place to make sure that I'm safe, that I'm comfortable, that I'm secure. You know, this idea of multiple streams of income. And I think everyone needs to realize that even though you may be living a cushy job right now, or maybe you're not good. Like, Figure out ways to make sure that if this goes away, which one day it can, we're ultimately resilient or anti-fragile to the scenario. And I'm doing it like I'm, I'm looking at what are the different streams of income that I can generate that are never going to go away. Right. Or if they do, how do we ensure there's five other ones there that are secure? How do you make sure your family's taken care of? Like, what if you die tomorrow? Is everything in place to make sure that your shit's taken care of. And we've got some great questions coming in. There's some things I want to address very specifically so we can kind of shift over to that. Cool. So, so I can see what the questions are. Sure. One of the questions here is a very simple one, but it's actually very relevant. So Brian Bear asks, what's the best way to be in strength training for someone in their 40s? And Brian, ironically, I just did a live Q&A with one of our top transformation winners, Karsten, and Karsten's from Denmark. And I said the Netherlands, I think by accident, but he's from Denmark. 
and fantastic physique. He's 51 years old. And in that live, it was about 20 or 30 minutes. We talked exactly about what we should be doing to accumulate strength or ultimately build muscle. And ultimately, I think it's a very similar foundation. So whether you're trying to build muscle or build strength at any age, there's a certain foundational prerequisite that needs to be there. And from my perspective, it's just stability, right? So I think everyone, I talk about this often, is stability governs contractile ability. What does that mean? If I'm not stable, my muscles don't contract. The objective of muscles is to produce tension to generate force, right? So muscles contract, that creates some tension, like an elastic band that's got this elastic energy, and that then produces this motion or force. Well, if both ends of an elastic band are moving, how much force or tension is being generated? None. So the prerequisite for all accumulation of strength and muscle is this foundational stability that needs to exist at the trunk, spine, and hips and shoulders. I call them the three hubs of stability, right? So we have our, our shoulder girdle, which is effectively your scapula, and then your trunk and spine, so your ability to not bend at the spine, and then your, your pelvis. So when I say not move, so here's this is an important distinction. When we speak of force production, there's two prerequisites, maybe more than that, but two that I want to speak to. One, the ability to get into the position that you're trying to train. So I need to be able to lengthen the pec, or I need to be able to lengthen the quad, or lengthen the hamstring, whatever it happens to be, or shorten. So I need to be able to have the prerequisite mobility to get into a position. Well, there's two reasons. But the number one reason that I will see people have weak body parts, quote-unquote weak body parts, they simply can't get into the position to lengthen or shorten it. Why can't we get into a position? People think mobility or quote unquote lack of flexibility. Well, lack of flexibility, guys, is literally just weakness. So if I can't build my pecs, right, say, which is a very huge problem for men, let's say for women, I can't build my glutes. It has nothing to do with your inability to build that muscle. It's an inability for you to get into the positions and produce enough force to be able to build that muscle. So if you want to build a muscle, first, you got to be able to get there. Second, you got to be able to produce a contraction there, which is dependent on stability. Third, you got to be able to produce movement from that contraction. So it's this kind of three-prong approach. So I got to have the mobility, the stability, and the skill. That's something I teach in all my classes. Like it's so simple to build a weak body part. It's so simple, but everybody just goes about it the wrong way because they're missing this foundational piece, right? They're missing the foundational piece of the skill. Most coaches out there or quote unquote experts will start shouting about sets and reps and volume and load and progressive overload and all these things that are absolutely useful, but they're futile until you learn to optimize this foundational piece that everyone's missing, right? And that's really where I fit into this equation. This is what I do. Like I'm going to teach you how to optimize execution for any body part because it's simple. And the reason I know it's simple is because I've been through it for 20 years now and I Ultimately, it's taken me this long to sift through all the noise that exists of people trying to tell me different ways to build weak body parts. It's bullshit. Without foundational execution, you do not build muscle. So, and I, I just wrote a document about this. I'll ask you this. If you wanted to sprint 100 meters, and let's say a good time for you was 12 seconds, and you said, Ben, I've decided right now I'm going to sprint it in under 12 seconds. I'm going to say 11 and a half because I know you're an awesome athlete. What would you do? You know? Me as a coach would say, Ash, well, what you need to do is you need to start sprinting. Mm. Get out there today and just start sprinting. Sprint every day. Sprint five times a day. The more you do it, the better. What's going to happen? I'm going to get faster? No, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> you're going to hurt yourself, right? 
So if you just go out and start sprinting, never having sprinted in your life or not having done it in 10 years or however long, and if you've never done it correctly, you'll never get to the goal because nobody taught you, hey, first, let's actually make sure your gait is correct. Let's make sure your foot strike on the floor is correct. Let's make sure you've got the requisite mobility at your hips and ankles to actually be able to have a full stride. Let's make sure you've got the stability at your trunk and spine to not be flailing all over the place when you're doing this, right? So there's all these prerequisites. Like if I want to play basketball, I don't just go out and grab a ball and go, hey, LeBron, let's go play a game. I go, hey, man, I got to learn how to dribble this thing first. Then I'm going to learn how to dribble with both hands. Then I'm going to do it with my eyes closed. Then maybe I make a pass and do a free throw. You know, you progress through these prerequisite skills. People just miss that. And that's what's missing in fitness. Can I, can I ask a question though, just before sure. you go any further? So, you know, you've talked about how a lot of this stuff is simple, not to say that it's easy, but that it's simple once you kind of so, get the basic concepts. Mm-hmm. But what you like the analogy that you just used is telling me as somebody who's a bit more of a novice or who is looking to you for a certain direction, like I'm thinking now, okay, well, I have no idea if my gait is right or if I'm landing the right way or if we're going to strength training, if I'm squatting the right way or I'm recruiting muscles the right way. So the person who's hearing this now is thinking, okay, well, I I basically have to get like an in-person trainer to like look at this and go through these movements with me and make sure that I'm doing them properly because right. otherwise, how do we know, right? Well, that's what I teach, right? That's yeah. what my programs are online. And, and I, I try not to do the, the pitch or the plug, but like, that's what it is. That's that's where I make my mark and nobody else in the world does it at the level that I do. Like some people are certainly as good or probably better, but just not to the mass world. Like, if, you know, if you guys want to go to the best guy in the world, I, I would refer you to Tom Purvis because he'll talk me under the table any day when it comes to this stuff. He's the guy who mentored me. And we look at it from different perspectives, I think. Like I look at it from this muscle building perspective where he looks at it from this really Puritan, like more from like a rehab perspective. Like he helps people that tend to be older and and dysfunctional and brings them back to optimal function. Whereas I'm looking at it from, okay, like I actually want to build this thing. So that, you know, for me, the foundational piece is I can learn how to contract it. And then I'm going to learn all the variables that stack on top of that. And that's really where it differs. So the gentleman's name was, I forget, Brian. Brian, it's the exact same prerequisite here, buddy. So I'll give you a little bit more action item. So first, learn the skill. If you're trying to get strong, the skill all comes down to spinal stability, pelvic stability, and shoulder stability. So the ability to not bend your spine is huge. So if I'm getting under a bar for squatting or deadlifting, I need to be able to not go into a flexed position at my thoracic spine. So that doesn't just mean, hey, I want to become rigid. That means I want to be able to move freely when I don't have a bar on my back. So I have great mobility and I want to be able to not move when I want to not move, right? This is this kind of the irony here, perhaps, or these almost opposing skills you know, for me, it's yoga. I want to be able to get into obscure positions and be really strong or be stable. And I want to be able to get under a 600 pound squat and not move an inch except for the joint that I'm trying to train. That to me is strength. So Brian, strength accumulation comes from positional stability, ultimately, right? The ability to not move and the ability to then generate force. So Ben, before you go to another question, just because there's a question on Instagram that's related to this, actually, it's been asked a couple times, but people who maybe haven't listened to all of the Q&As leading up to this, they're asking what advice you have or any programs or whatever that you have for people who are stuck at home without weights. And I know that on the private Facebook page, you provided like an at-home workout document. Is that something that other people can have access to or how? Yeah, I don't know the URL right now, but if you guys go to muscleintelligence.com, you can find it there. Just go to the, the Facebook community. It's there. And listen, I didn't even ask for an email. It's just like, here, just take it. Just use it. If you want to share it, share it. I've got another one coming out 
hopefully today, maybe tomorrow. Just a matter of the designer getting it done. And this one, I will ask for an email because I put a lot more time and effort into it. Actually, you, you know the one I'm talking about. I put it's you know since it now needs your eyes again. By the way, it's about 50 pages, but put a little more time and effort into it. Looking at like so, here's how I'm conceptualizing this. I guess is you know if someone walks into my world, what would I want them to learn? Whether they're trying to train at home or anywhere, if they're trying to transform their body, so put together this kind of thought process that's extrapolated into many things beyond what it started out to be, but. Yeah, so there's some at-home workouts. There's some at-home videos, all available on the member site and my 40 Nation. We are actually just about to launch. Maybe by the time this podcast goes out, we will have a $1 15-day trial. So anyone who wants to try it, like you get at-home workouts, you get normal workouts, you get tons of videos. We're looking to add in a free nutrition plan because I know everyone's biggest concern right now is kind of the Corona 15. And we have amazing, amazing nutritionists that work with us now. So we're looking to add in a free 15-day nutrition plan for anybody who wants to kind of get started on, hey, where should I go with my calories? And so based on kind of your current scenario, like, hey, my body fat and my goal and my, my activity level, one of our coaches will put together a nutrition plan for you. Now, that may or may not be done by the time this podcast goes live or maybe goes out publicly, but I'm hoping it'll be done by Monday, which will be you know the first Monday in May. So if anyone just goes to, if you go to MI40 Nation, actually go to muscleintelligence.com. I'll make sure I put it on the homepage. So unfortunately, I don't know the URL yet. So I don't know where to send you guys. But if you go to the Ben Pikulski Facebook page, so there's two Facebook pages, right? There's the Ben Pikulski fan page, where it used to be a fan page. Now it's called the page and there's the private group. So the public page will have a link to that for sure, because that will be something that I want to get to everybody. Okay. This is an interesting question that I think we should approach is Anthony Bartels wants to know, how do you reach your natural potential? How do you know if you reach your natural potential? Well, Anthony, I tell you with 100% certainty, you haven't, and I don't even know you, but I know that with everything in my being that you could put on a tremendous amount more muscle than you are now, just based on training. So our culture is very interestingly manipulated, I think, and, and this is not to mean that in a bad way, but manipulated into the belief that nutrition is the most important piece of fitness. And as much as it is, it's only a signal. And what people miss is that your training sucks. And this is not you specifically, this is everyone trains at probably 20% of their potential, maybe less than that. You know, the best people in the world are at 60, 70% of their potential. And like nobody really extrapolates the full capacity or full potential that exists in training. Not, I shouldn't say nobody, but so few people. You're capable of so much more than you think. And this is what drives me. <laughs> this is what drives me to do what I do, obsessively studying and obsessively writing and trying to define this process for you, for the trainers, for the coaches, for the people that I mentor. Like, I want to decode this stuff. Like, in my brain, it just makes sense. But I want to be able to make all that unconscious processing that goes on conscious enough so I can teach everybody. And that's what I literally work on daily is trying to extrapolate questions like this, which is why I love questions like this. So, you know, the foundation of it all, Anthony, is are you creating the signal to your muscles? Are you creating the signal inside your body that says to your body, hey, produce muscle? Like, you need to adapt. And then, the reality is I don't think there, there's certainly a natural limit, maybe, right? But you're nowhere near it. You haven't fully exhausted the nervous system. You haven't fully exhausted the muscular system, the metabolic capacity. Like you can do so much more than you think. 
you just don't know the process yet, right? And I'm, I'm literally devoting my, the, almost the entirety of my life to understand this process. And that's really what I'm building into my certification and my mentorship. Can you go down to the bottom and acknowledge the person who said that my glasses are awesome and is wondering where yours are because you're looking at a screen right now, Ben, <laughs> without your screen. There we go. Okay. Like blue, like yours. Ooh, now we're both, yeah, looking like weirdos. Anyway. So it's, it's daytime, so I don't usually wear them all that much during the day. If it starts to get evening, I'll put them on. It really does make a difference, though, if you're, I mean, because, again, we can talk all we want about we should be spending less time on screens, but when you work from a computer and you're home all day working, you're going to look at screens all day, and these actually do make a big difference. Because I, I notice sometimes when I have, like, a bad day of screen use, like, my eyes are tired and they're itchy and it's painful at the end of the day, and these things have been better, so... Highly recommend. The very reason I don't wear them on the podcast is what you said. You get this really blue reflection. I'm looking at myself in the eye. <laughs> my eyes water. Like, truthfully, I mean, I'll often wear them when I'm just sitting and writing. Yeah. So hopefully that helps, Anthony. I know it's a little bit vague, but, man, I'm here to help, right? This is kind of my mission is helping people, men and women, reach their natural potential, right? People think because I was a bodybuilder in the past that and for some strange reason that you know, enhancement is a part of the process. And I, I really don't think it is. I think everyone should be treated as a natural athlete, whether you're enhanced or not. And the difference with enhanced people is maybe you can start increasing the frequency and the volume of your training because your recoverability is higher. But this is where the heart rate variability stuff comes in. It's like, if you're someone who's natural and diligently committed to improving your heart rate variability, your training potential and volume and frequency can go up massively as well. And this is, again, part of that conversation. It's like, are you measuring and managing all these things, right, Anthony? So if I'm someone who's trying to build muscle naturally, you have to be more meticulous than people who are not natural, right? You have to be so aware of, you know, how's my sleep? Are my calories on point, which is just one piece? What's my light exposure like? Am I getting enough infrared light? Am I getting enough recovery? How's my HRV? So many things that contribute to the greatest internal environment that's conducive to growth. Here's the way we conceptualize this, guys. People think about all these things outside of their body. I have to lift more weights. I have to do more exercise. None of those things are useful, except if they create the internal response or the internal environment that's conducive to my body changing. That's how we think about this. So nothing is necessarily useful. Like exercise is futile. Cardio is futile. If it doesn't ultimately shift your body into a state that makes it want to use more fat or want to burn more muscle. So it's not just the one thing. That's the signal. But there's got to be all these other things that are in place to make it actually happen, right? So what are all those other things that need to be in place? If my one target is I want to put on as much muscle as possible, and that's a good mentality to take because – if you want to put on a little bit of muscle, then you're like, oh, I don't really need to focus on anything. No, I want to put on maximum muscle. Even if it's only for a month, I want to go maximal. Okay, well, what are the things I need to pay attention to, right? Does light exposure make a difference? Yes. Do the vitamin, mineral, and amino acid ratios matter? Yes, right? Does the amount of food I'm eating matter? Yes, but so does my heart rate variability and my sleep and my aerobic system and gosh, probably 10 other things that aren't coming to mind, right? So you have to make sure like, am I checking all these boxes? And if I am, amazing. And if I'm not, well, then you're not maximizing it. Okay, so maybe I'll maybe I'll create a document for you guys like that that just says like here's all the boxes to check for maximum muscle building. I probably have one. I just you know lost somewhere in the abyss of my computer. Can you uh, can you click on Stephen's question about the box breathing because that's another thing you know you talk about a lot and get that question a lot. Stephen, so I'll read it for the listeners. Uh, just start using box breathing, a box breathing app for my walks. Finding it hard to use the diaphragm while walking. 
Raver used Patrick McEwen's Bateco belt. I was thinking it could be a little looser to bring attention to the diaphragm. Buddy, if you can't use a diaphragm while walking, practice, right? That means you need it even more. You have an issue walking and, and using your diaphragm ultimately is a problem. So I think just practice, buddy. I don't know that you need any, any external tools. Just take it upon yourself to say, I'm going to do this every day. Is it easy? No. But if you do it often enough, it becomes relatively simple. And one thing that I started doing that really helped was just being super conscious, obviously, while you're not walking. And then ultimately introducing a slightly longer breath hold, which obviously with the box breath, it's usually suggesting like a four second hold on both ends. I'd sometimes just go a little longer and almost to the point where I'm developing that air hunger, like that strong desire to breathe in or out. That tends to make, for me, tended to make my diaphragm seem like it responded faster to the stimulus, like it got stronger faster because you're almost going into that involuntary breathing that you know makes the diaphragm, I believe, start to get a little bit more resilient or stronger. Is that something you can we can just pile onto your list of things you have to write about? But I know, like obviously, you speak about breathing and breath work a lot, and you incorporate box breathing and stuff like that into some of the workouts and stuff that you offer. But some of that like diaphragmatic vacuum breath stuff, like have you ever actually fully kind of laid out and explained for people how to do that that are yeah. not bodybuilders? Yes. One of the documents was finished yesterday. It's probably in there. There's another one that went into the designer a few days ago. It's certainly in there. And I've kind of put it in different scenarios, right? So there's a certain pre-workout ritual that we want to implement. There's a certain post-workout ritual we want to implement. And then there's a certain meditative ritual we want to implement. And all of those are just documents that will exist both within my coaching as we launch it. Because the reason I'm creating all these documents, so you guys understand is when I take on a coaching client, what I don't want to do is, as you sometimes realize in this podcast, is I have to say, explain the same things over and over again. So the people that listen to the podcast often are like, dude, you said this already. But somebody doesn't. So I'm creating these documents. So rather than me having to answer it all the time or, or have it for always for, and speak about the same thing for the clients, it's like, boom, here's this document. Boom, here's this document. So I'm creating this massive database of really well-worded documents, not only for me, but for my coaches. So if I have coaches working under me, we're going to be coaching clients and be like, hey, rather than having to answer these exact same questions, deploy the sleep document, deploy the HRV document, right? So it, it's a system that allows everyone to have the highest level information. So with the document will come a video, right? So everyone can either listen to video, you can have an audio, which is like an MP3, almost like a podcast, or you can read the article. All three are going to be available to anyone who joins the coaching platform, which is hopefully not too far away. We've got a question here about muscle camps. I guess you probably don't have any, you can't really see into the future on that one, right? Man, it's so like, we're just kind of waiting because you know we're told, hey, May 15th. Okay, so we have one scheduled right now for the last week in May. And I was like, okay, perfect. Let's keep that going. And now we're hearing, oh, maybe it's going to be June 1st. And you're just like, oh, I don't know. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. We have people asking literally on a daily basis. And I think everybody is expecting us to have an answer. And and as soon as we can, we're going to pull the trigger. You know, I've got like seven camps that have been rescheduled, which is a huge issue. I've got some in Canada. I've got some in the UK. I've got some in Tampa. I had one in Chicago, like all canceled. So maybe actually it's more than seven. So guys, I appreciate you so much wanting to attend these camps. And I promise to go out of my way to provide so much value when you're there, which is why we keep them super small and super exclusive. And everyone, you know, one thing I've asked, if you guys are interested in this, I'd love to hear from you. Would you like me to do a camp online? Like everyone's like, hey, Ben, why don't you do a one day educational seminar? Or why don't you do six weeks where you're going to do like what you would teach at the camp or four weeks where, you know, once a week for two hours, you're going to come on and teach us. 
If this is something you'd be interested in, I'd love to hear from you. Ben at Muscle Intelligence is a great place to drop me an email. I know that's a lot to ask to say drop me an email, but if you're actually interested, do that. If you're really interested in learning in the deep dive, then ask about my mentorship. And, and I'm only going to take 10 because, so I've been thinking, you know, I talked about this mentorship six months ago. And I was like, well, I'm building it. And, you know, who do I really want to teach? Because there's this balance between like my two greatest passions in life. And as you know, this is like, I love the body. I love building muscle. I love the transformation process. And I think I'm pretty good at that. I mean, I've done it with thousands and thousands of people now. And, and I have 100% certainty that I can get a result for anybody. The other thing that I'm maybe even more passionate about now is business and understanding how to grow a business and, and understanding how you have this great information, right? And this is what all entrepreneurs and all, all fitness professionals face. You have this great skill set that you've been working so diligently on. Now nobody shows up. So maybe you want to go and outsource and bring on a team. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've brought on teams that have fallen way short of what they offered or what they said they could deliver. So now I'm like, okay, well, forget it. I'm going to learn it myself. <laughs> so now you've got this amazing balance of, of knowing both of these things and, and which one do you focus on? So, you know, which one do I want to teach in the mentorship? Well, first I'm going to teach six months of, of physique mastery, right? And with the intention of taking on 10 coaches who eventually, if they choose, could teach the muscle camps for me. Right. They can come and work for me in Tampa. If I open a new gym, which is a very strong likelihood, I'll throw that out there. Maybe I could op open one in different countries. Maybe they could have their own version of the most intelligent gym, or maybe they could just have their own amazing business where they teach this information that they learned anyways. All of those opportunities exist. That's the foundation. Six months minimum. The next one will be after that. Okay, now we've got all these people through this. Now let's start teaching them all of the business strategies that I'm accumulating and learning about daily. So that's kind of the how this is going to unfold. And you know, I'm so, I'm so excited because I love teaching it and I love people who are as committed to this process as me. Two points to what you just said, because you are getting a lot of questions every day, of course, from people who are interested in the mentorship program. When is more concrete information going to be out there in terms of how people can apply and when it's going to start and stuff like that? For people well, now? I'm not going to promote it. And I've been thinking about this. Like, I'm going to promote the personal training certification when it comes out. And my intention is to get you know, only take a thousand people in the personal training certification. That'll be an online portal. And that will come out probably September 1st. I'll promote that. From within that, I'll pull out the people who are doing, who are the most committed or the most interested and do a, a second mentorship, maybe. The first mentorship is going to come from people already in my network. It's going to come from people who have already expressed interest, who maybe they've already attended a camp, maybe they already asked questions, or they just seem like they have the highest level of commitment. Like people who are already listening to this information is the people that I want because I don't want to have to start with the bare bones. I don't want to have to teach, you know, the things that people should probably have a decent understanding of already. Although I'm sure I'm going to have to teach it at some level because there's still a natural progression built in. But yes, yeah, so I want people who are slightly more committed, certainly, you know, who are willing. If I said to you, Ash, like, hey, we're going to do two hours of education a week and I need you to study an extra five hours a week. Do you even have the ability to do that? And if you don't, it's probably not going to be the right thing for you, right? It, it's the same thing where I want you to go, like, let's do a six-month university level, PhD level submersion, where you're just like, you're coming out of this with a mastery mentality. And I'm bringing on some people who are going to blow your mind and you're going to learn a lot of stuff, but it's going to be drinking from a fire hose. And, and that's the way I like to learn. Like, you know, how did I learn to, to snowboard? I went to the top of the highest double black diamond and I figured it out by the time I got to the bottom. And this submersive learning, I think is the best way to do it rapidly. So that's the plan. So if you're super committed and you want to come out of this in six months, with a skill set that you have for the rest of your life, then this is for you. If not, it's not. 
so there's two options. There's this personal training certification that's an online program that will be a little bit more widely communicated about. And then there's this mentorship program, which is significantly more exclusive and is going to be way more selective in terms of how many and who you're letting in, right? Yeah. Okay. Also, I wanted to mention, just because we were initially talking about muscle camps, and I think there have been a couple of people here mentioning that they would love an online one. And I think that's actually a fantastic idea because I've been seeing over the past month or two the excitement and engagement in putting some things online that normally are not. And I think Mm -hmm. that people are really responding well to that. I think that's very cool. And I also wanted to mention that I think we've talked about this before, but we've launched the blog page on muscleintelligence.com. We're posting some stuff on there like some content that you're putting up and recipes and things like that. And soon we'll throw up the big intensive article that I wrote about my Florida muscle camp experience. People who haven't gone yet or want a little teaser about what the in real life muscle camp experience is like, we can post that. All the dirty details are going to be in that one. So Mm -hmm. we'll post it on the blog too. So people should check it out. Muscleintelligence.com. There's a blog page now and there's a ton of info up there. So yeah, and if I knew how to post on a blog, I would do it often. <laughs> Funny. I have it for you. You just need okay. to send it to me. Yeah, but-, I, but I've got a lot, Ash. Like I would do it daily, and I just I've actually asked our web guide to kind of create a, an SOP for me, so I can do it myself. Or at least I'm going to bring on an assistant and have some of them do that because I've always had someone do that, and that's always been the challenge. Is I didn't know how to do it myself. I write so much. I actually love doing blogs, and I love doing things where I can send people a video and I can send them an article, but then you put it on Instagram, you put it on here, it disappears, right? Put it on a blog, it's always there. So I like the idea. So what I'm going to do is put it on YouTube, then put it on my blog and then direct people to my blog. And then so it'll live on YouTube if people want to check it on YouTube, but the YouTube will be embedded into my webpage as well. So there'll be a YouTube video and an article. And I think the article I'm going to do, I think, as I just said, I'm going to also make it an audio because I think people go to these webpages, maybe they're driving or maybe they're somewhere where they can't always read. I'm going to do an MP3 version of most of the articles that I create as well. Cool. Yeah, nobody's done that yet. Has anybody done that? I don't know why anybody's done that. I mean, they exist on like larger websites. Like, I haven't yeah. seen a fitness website that does it, but I think that's definitely valuable if we can. Yeah, I had that idea like two years ago, and I was like, why does anybody do this? Everybody wants to consume information. Nobody wants to read. Do MP3s on the bottom of every article. It should just be like, click here, and I'll read it for you. Right? I think it's a relatively simple offer. And if you guys like that idea, let me know, and I will. You know, when you tell me you like something, it incentivizes me to do it faster. Otherwise, it may take six months. Hmm. Dill is asking about someone with back pain, had two C-sections to me and back-to-back in three years. Can she work on her core muscles with online training programs? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So question is ultimately, if you've had two C-sections and you've had a mammectomy back-to-back in three years, can you work on your core? It depends how new the injury is. As long as it's healed and it's, it's formed scar tissue, you're going to be fine. I wouldn't put tremendous amounts of load through it. So the way we progress things is first, you assess your ability to actively control a range of motion. So this is so important. And everyone in the fitness industry, for Lord knows what reason, doesn't get this. And it's just blows my mind that people still question this. Active versus passive range of motion. So when you see, when you hear of a passive range of motion, It's people going all the way to the bottom on a squat. And I can't believe that fitness experts still advocate this fucking nonsense. So this is me emphasizing things. I don't know if my kids aren't watching because I find out they watch these things afterwards. (laughs) So it's, it's absolutely nonsense to advocate someone going all the way to the bottom of a squat when they can't actively control it. 
And here's how I know they can't actively control it. If you, you came to my camp, we probably did this. We do it at about 95% of the camps. We'll go to the bottom of the squat. Okay, hey guys, everybody just sit there. Body weight, nothing else. And we'll say, okay, well, now I want you to get into a position that's active, which is like, okay, you're going to actively contract your hip flexors. You're going to push into the ground. So you start to create some muscular tension in, in your glutes and your quads. And everyone in the class dies after five seconds with their body weight. And this is at the bottom of the squat. And everyone's like screaming and crying. This is like an example on YouTube. I'm like, guys, do you see how this is a problem? You can't even sit at the bottom of the squat with your body weight, right? And these are relatively fit people. How are you going to go down there with 100 pounds, 200 pounds, 400 pounds? You're just resting on these passive structures. So your lower back, your knees, your hips, all these things are taking a load. So when your active structures, which is muscles, can't endure the load, they exceed their ability to contract. Now your body has no choice but dependent on passive structures. Okay, what are passive structures? Your ligaments, tendons, joints, and bones. Well, I don't want those things to be taking huge amounts of load. So assess uh, active range of motion. What can I actively control with this joint or with this muscle at this joint? And that's all I do. And people argue, oh, you're not going to get full muscle building. Well, maybe. But why can't you go into a greater range of motion? It's because you're weak. Right. So why can't I take my hip past 90 degrees of hip flexion, meaning to the bottom of the squat? Because the muscles that take it there are too weak. So if I can improve strength, I will improve stability and mobility. So it's positional weakness. Conversely, positional strength is what's necessary to change it. So if you are not able, going outside of the active range, I promise you will only make it worse. It'll make you weaker because your body will tighten up and tighten up and tighten up to keep you safe. So again, speaking to this man's question, I think it's a man, Dill. Yes, you can absolutely train. But yeah, but it, it says, can she work? So I'm guessing on it's for a client or a wife or something. So Dill, the answer is yes. Now, here's your progression. Assess her active range of motion with no resistance whatsoever. And that could just be sitting up in a chair, right? And then what can she actively go through? And then find ways to start implementing resistance within the range she can currently control. If you spend time at the extremes of the range, like the ends of those range, maybe that range will start to get a little bit bigger because you're telling your brain, your nervous system, hey brain, we can actually control this range. We can go a little bit further. That's how we start to progress. And you progress with first applying resistance. And the first means of progression is not more load, it's more time. So going from three seconds of resistance to five, to 10, to 20, to 30, now okay, I can resist this force for a longer period of time. I'm probably more prepared to increase the amount of either distance or load. So our three means of progression is time, extending time, and time can be challenged by extending the time under tension or decreasing the time and rest. And then we can challenge distance, which is one thing that nobody talks about. And I talk about it at nauseum. Hopefully you guys have heard me talk about it. If not, go to YouTube. Three, load. The third one is load, not the first, right? The third one is load. Time, distance, load. T-D-L. Remember it. Got it. Got it. What I recommend, C-K-D. I don't know what that is. What's C-K-D? Is this the C-D question? No, what I recommend, C-K-D. I don't know what that is. So Maureen asked two questions here, actually. I'm going to answer Maureen's question. She asked about blood sugar or something up higher. Let me see this. If testing glucose and ketones with the MOGO tester, where is a good place to be with both? Marine, it has to be based on you, so it's very hard to say. So I usually try to keep my resting blood glucose under 70, 
I usually often come in under 65, which is low. But I, I, if I find myself, if I start getting above 75, I usually will do something to start managing stress or improving my sleep. So depending on your age, Marine, and I know your age, but you would probably want to be under 80 resting. And if you, get, you, get, if you can get under 75, under 70, that's very good insulin regulation. As far as ketones, I don't know. Like maybe over one if you're in ketosis. Again, I think it's very subjective to aspire to have a higher ketone levels. I think it's not a good thing to think about. I think ketones are just these things like either they're there or they're not. Is my body using them or not? I don't think it's it's a good idea to aspire to having higher levels of blood ketones because it doesn't necessarily mean anything good. Having a, a blood ketones of four could simply mean your body isn't utilizing them and, you're, and it's just there, right? So when I'm in ketosis, I, like I usually sit around one, I usually 1.5 like tops, and that's only if I'm deep into fasting. Are you still checking blood glucose and things like that with your sort of kind of carnivore-ish diet that you're going through right now? Yeah. So I added carbs back in because I feel better on them, I noticed. And not a huge amount, but I added some back in. Yes, I check it probably two or three times a week. So honestly, the reason I do it is I'm trying to find some correlate between HRV and resting blood glucose. So if I sleep well, I see my blood glucose is very low. And I'm looking to see what other influences can shift my blood glucose down. And one thing I got from Ben Greenfield, I'll give him full credit, is he suggested doing a ice bath, which dropped his blood glucose, his resting blood glucose for an extended period of time, which is a huge amazing piece of advice. So I do, you know, I haven't used the cold or the warm part of my shower in maybe a year. It's always ice, as, as cold as I can make it, but it's not the same of submersing yourself into an ice bath, but that's a really good way. No, it's not the same, but it's a very good way to decrease blood glucose. But yeah, I do check it. And again, if it gets starts getting above 75, I, for me personally, I feel like something's not correct. Something needs to be fixed. And usually it's just like, Hey dude, you're not sleeping enough or Hey dude, you're you know, you're not doing enough aerobic work. Or maybe you're not even getting sunshine. Like all of those things will bring your blood glucose down. So, you know, stress management, sleep, sunshine, exercise, cold exposure, all of those are really, really important to keeping that resting blood glucose down. Do you have one of those outdoor, like real ice bath things that you stick like 50 pounds of ice in or are you just taking like really cold I'm not in my house right now, but I, I do baths sometimes. Like I'll fill the bathtub with ice. Yeah. It's, funny. it's funny. Yesterday, my kids and I were sitting in the pool. And my daughter comes out carrying this massive bucket of ice and she dumps it in the pool. She's like, I want to have a, like we have a full-size pool. And I'm like, that's not going to do that much. But she was really excited to dive into the ice tub. It's a very expensive habit, even if you're doing it in your bathtub, because I was thinking about buying one of the outdoor tubs and you need to put like a hundred pounds of ice in there. So unless you have like a well, deep or something you need yeah. to buy a lot of ice well so one thing i thought about doing for the gym is you can you know those like old hotel room or those old hotel like ice print makers you can yeah. buy that for about a thousand bucks so as, i mean for a gym that's reasonable maybe not for yeah home. for a home yeah. it's not reasonable but you know what the best thing is just going with the freezer right you can set it to the right temperature well, you're gonna have ice in there like you're gonna have big chunks of ice but i mean all the better i guess yeah Maureen had another question. That was the CBD question. Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't see it. Can you pull it up or you can ask it? It's lower down. She's just saying, what are your thoughts on CBD and what do you, oh, sure. have you any benefits? Um, well, I think sometimes it's CBD itself is positioned as this utopia where it's just amazing. You know, it's an amazing opportunity for everybody. I disagree with that. I think it's conditionally very useful for decreasing inflammation for you, Maureen. I think it'd actually be great. I think it'll help. 
I think maybe trying it three, four days a week, maybe every other day to start and seeing how that works for you. I wouldn't go straight to every day, but you could certainly eventually go toward every day and see how that feels. And now the thing with CBD that I still don't understand is there's different I don't know about sources, but there's different purification processes, right? So it's been suggested that full spectrum CBD is exponentially better than an isolate. And then there's other data that says isolate has benefits and there's so much subjectivity of it. A lot of it's just marketing driven and you know, I'm looking for a lot of data that really clarifies. So it's important to acknowledge that, that the CBD molecule itself can come from different places. It can have different strains. It can have different sources and purification processes. So again, I don't really know enough about it to speak yeah. on it at nauseum or at length, but my suggestion is find a full spectrum. Ash, if you, have, if you can, if you can offer opinion, do that, find a full spectrum, you know, great purification, high quality again, but that's so subjective. I hate that about it because I, I mean, I'm not honestly a huge CBD user. I do have some, I do. If I feel like I'm stressed or if I'm up really late, I will take CBD with my nighttime sleep formula, my nighttime sleep concoction. And it does help, but I'm, I'm taking it maybe once a week. And I think that makes it even more useful. Just to add on to that, just my experience, and obviously this is not medical advice and do your own research and your own work. I definitely agree with what you're saying that there is sort of some conflicting research out there. And I think more research needs to be done to sort of really help us understand which sources are the best and why they work better. And, you know, just like with any supplement or product or, you know, plant-based anything that you're using, there's going to be better and worse sources. And generally what you pay is the quality that you're going to get out of it. The only other comment that I would say, I agree with you that in my experience, using full spectrum has been more effective for me. And again, do your own research. But I've personally found that when I'm using it for relaxation, for better quality sleep and things like that, that I am normally taking a much higher dose than what is recommended. So oftentimes people will do like 15, 20, 25 milligram dose. And Ben Greenfield is actually actually spoken to this too. I'm taking more like 100 milligrams to 150. So just play around with that kind of stuff too. And I mean, I agree with you that it's not the be all end all for everybody and it doesn't work for everybody, but it's a pretty low risk tool to use that is worth experimenting with. I think. Yeah. So Dominic's asking about scapular winging. Dominic, it's extremely common. And I think the most common culprit seems to be a weak serratus and weak serratus is this muscle that kind of wraps around your rib cage and almost looks like, you know, they call it like a shark tooth where it kind of sits in between the ribs and wraps around the rib cage. And its primary dysfunction occurs in lack of ability to maintain scapular protraction. So if you can figure out loaded protraction, so many, many coaches will teach loaded retraction. We want to do the opposite. So retraction is pulling your shoulders back and together. Protraction is pushing them forward. I also like to do upward rotation, which is like putting your hand above your head and feeling the scapula, like literally upwardly rotate toward, like almost like you're taking a hand across your head. Both of those seem to help with scapula winging, but usually it's just a protraction motion. You know, you may lay on the ground and have a dumbbell in your hand without your body moving. You're just pushing that shoulder forward. So you could say with a very high degree of certainty, if your scapula is winging, you're also not going to have very good ability to connect that lat on that side because that protraction is, is a necessary prerequisite for lat development. If you can't protract, you can't lengthen the lat, therefore you won't be able to engage a lat. So something to think about, Dominic. Steven, cyclical ketogenic diet, CKD. And I think it's great. I think it's great. Targeted is great. Cyclical is great. Again, everything can be useful depending how well you execute it. And cyclical ketogenic diet, basically meaning like maybe you're in ketogenic diet Monday to Friday or, or Monday to Saturday, or maybe over two weeks and then coming out for a couple of days. 
I think that may be one of the most effective ways to lose fat. And that's something Danny and I advocate in that ketogenic muscle intelligence program is if performance is your goal, targeted keto, if body composition is your goal, maybe cyclical keto, preventing that metabolic shutdown that seems to be relatively common with carbohydrate-less diet. And listen, a lot of it's dependent on your genetics. A lot of it's dependent on your activity level. A lot of it's dependent on your stress, right? And I've talked about this at nauseum, but if you're stressed, don't do a ketogenic diet. It's going to often be worse. It depends what's causing your stress, but something to think about. And there's also such a big difference. There's such a big gap between like traditional diet and ketogenic diet where people end up just chasing ketones and like chasing under 20 grams of carbs a day. Like you can eat low carb and still eat carbs and support your workouts and feel healthy and not have this crazy energy dip that people get with keto. It's like people always want to go to one extreme or the other. Yeah. I thought this was a question, but I read it anyways. Just want to thank both of you. Love everything you do. Thank you so much. I don't know who it's from. It's, it's a gentleman saying his 15-year-old son and I work together through him, particularly focusing on form and movement. Game changer for both of us. Thank you. Sorry, I thought there was a question there, but thank you guys. I appreciate those comments so much. Like, It's so awesome to know that you guys value what we teach. And sometimes as a business owner and an educator, knowing where the audience is, is a challenge, right? Like speaking to the same things repetitively sometimes becomes a challenge and speaking to things at an advanced level. And sometimes people want to hear them at a simple level and sometimes speaking at a simple level and people need them at an advanced level, that becomes an issue, right? It becomes a bit of an obstacle and like, am I doing it right? And you know, and you start thinking of like, who am I talking to? And do they understand this? Am I doing a good enough job to explain it to you know, your 13 year old, sorry, your 15 year old son, like this is the conversations that are always kind of ongoing in my mind is, you know, who's consuming this information most, which is why I love this community, because I can literally see and you guys can ask me questions. Here's actually something that I'd love to offer to anyone listening to this podcast. If you're also a member of the Muslim intelligence community, I want to propose this to you. You guys can ask me over the next two to four weeks, your most complex questions about your physique, and I will answer them via video and post them all in the members community. So here's why. As I bring on coaching clients and coaches, I think it's important that I document my responses to people's complex questions, your isolated questions. An example being, how do I fix the wing scapula? An example being, what I do, or you know, what I do if my blood sugar is 96 and I'm trying to improve my body composition, like things like that. Like if you have questions that are that are a little bit more complex, send them in and I will answer them via video. So I'm just going to create a database, both for our member site and for my coaches and anyone that comes to the, the mentorship, anyone that comes through the personal training certification of my approach to all these different obscure questions that come through. What we'll do is ultimately create a frequently asked question document that'll go in with the personal training certification because everyone that comes through the personal training certification, ultimately it's a personal trainer and they want answers to these obscure questions. And sometimes it's not always easy for me to walk through every single question. So if you guys have questions over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have a personal assistant going in, collecting all the questions. I'll film them individually, and then we'll just slowly drip them out. We'll probably have somewhere where they live, like in the members area or something like that, where you can kind of go in and check it or we'll just drip them slowly on the, the muscle intelligence community. Just another reason for anyone listening who isn't part of the private Facebook group to get on that. Yeah, so what I've learned is it's really interesting. So some people just listen to podcasts, right? Some people don't have Facebook. Some people don't want to go on Facebook, and I get it. So it doesn't have to be someone always going on Facebook. So I want to serve anyone who's on the podcast. So if there's some specific question you have you need answered, send it to ben at muscleintelligence.com. I think it's really scary that I'm putting that email out there. But so if you guys have questions, absolutely feel free to throw them my way.
You've got another keto-related question. Yeah, should I have pre- or post-workout carbs along with keto? It depends. I don't know who you are. I just see Facebook user. It depends. How hard are you training? How depleted do you feel during your workout? And do those carbohydrates improve your ability to do work? Objectively, not just subjectively, right? So if, if you can objectively say that I'm getting more work, more high-quality performance when I do have pre- or, or intra-workout carbs... I would say you absolutely do it because the objective guys with your nutrition, if your target is building muscle, improving your body composition, nutrition is there as a means of supporting high level performance. So if you need a little bit of carbohydrates and you train harder, then you absolutely do it. Absolutely. If someone is, if someone needs to lose weight, but is already eating low calories, can't go any lower. Is it possible to upregulate their metabolism by increasing your calories? How would you continue to continue the fat loss process? Good question. That's a really good question. Now, this is the kind of thing that I'd love to hear from you guys. Is So in this is scenario, eating low calories is likely a huge problem, but oftentimes people stop losing weight because your inflammation is high, because your stress is high, because your heart rate variability is low. Your body simply isn't decreasing its, its inflammation enough to start with the fat loss process. So inflammation is a big piece of this. I have no idea what else you're doing in your life, but I would highly suggest you start doing things that start helping modulate inflammation. And that could be improving your aerobic fitness. That could be getting some infrared light from the sunshine during the day, certainly improving your sleep, implementing a breathing practice. People who have high amounts of inflammation almost always have a very low tolerance to carbon dioxide, which means when they start to exercise or move, they get a huge amount of accumulation of, of hydrogen, which is that burn. And that then leads to driving inflammation up. Your body doesn't tolerate inflammation well. It doesn't tolerate carbon dioxide very well. So we want to implement a strategic breathing practice. All of those things would be immediate shifts in your body's ability to use fat as fuel and ultimately, therefore, lose fat. So that's a good question. I like that one. So action items. Let's say it again. Aerobic. You need to improve your VO2. You need to improve your body's ability to tolerate carbon dioxide, which means breath holds, implement a breath practice, diaphragmatic breathing. Don't breathe through your mouth. It's always through your nose. Always get some sunshine, maybe train a little harder in the gym, decrease inflammation. Anything you're eating that nutritionally that's going to be inflammatory, you got to take it out because if that inflammation is up, your body will always be intolerant to carbohydrates. Your body will always want to hold on to that extra fat. And generally speaking, if you're eating really, really low calorie, I mean, that's a stress on your body that your body's going to react to by holding on to whatever fat you have. So obviously a very fine line between caloric deficit and such low calories that you're going to hit a plateau. Yeah, you literally start down-regulating the enzymes that burn fat, and that's mm -hmm. important. So again, all of those things are, are kind of necessary prerequisites to optimize, upregulate fat burning, and then you'll have the ability to increase your calories. You should increase your calories slowly and progressively but I don't always like to make that recommendation because it needs to be done kind of strategically and maybe hiring somebody to help you do that would be important. And, and it can be done in multiple ways. It doesn't have to be reverse dieting. It can be a very quick increase in calories, but the problem with increasing calories is sometimes people will put on body fat, but again, it's dependent on your activity levels and a whole bunch of other things. So maybe getting some advice from a consultant or something. I found about out you in Israel. I saw your documentary movie you had in downtown Toronto. Took a selfie with you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys always with the amazing support. Oh, someone has this. What about, this is a very classic question, but is it possible to lower your body fat and build muscle at the same time? 1,000% of this. 1,000% of this. I think it almost should be synonymous. Like I think you should expect to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. Because the better you get at training, and again, people will argue with me on this all day, but I see it all the time. 
you build muscle, your body gets leaner. You build muscle, your body gets leaner. Your body just gets better at processing nutrients. Your body gets better at burning fat at rest, using fat for fuel. And the big kind of correlate there that I'm seeing is heart rate variability and carbon dioxide tolerance. If you improve those things, almost everybody ubiquitously across the board improves their body composition, which is so aerobic capacity, VO2 max. And again, not getting into the mechanics of why that works, but it almost seems to work across the board. That's a good question. Training fasted. What's the best pre, intra, and post-workout supplementation and carbs? So let's take a systems approach. So rather than saying, hey, here, just take this because I think it's important. What are the things you want to do before you train fasted? Well, you probably want to make sure you have enough water, which is always going to be the limiting factor. So start with a good liter of water, maybe even a little more than that. So I usually do a liter to a liter and a half. Sometimes I'll add lemon because it tastes good. Sometimes it, I find it's useful. Sometimes it'll add electrolytes. Electrolytes is a really, really important supplement pre-workout. Sodium specifically can really boost performance and not something I'll put in intra and pre-workout. So I would highly suggest that. I would suggest you put creatine in pre or intra. I suggest as far as brain optimization, we do something that's supporting the choline system. So alpha-GPC or acetylcholine are my favorite choline sources. And depending how you respond to caffeine. Caffeine can be a very good pre-workout, kind of excitatory, maybe the best ubiquitous stimulant that exists. Anything else I would focus on? Not really. Those are kind of my primary targets. So alpha-GPC improves the brain and the nervous system's ability to contract. Caffeine's going to be that kind of sympathetic agonist and water and electrolytes and creatine just to support further hydration. And then for carb sources, isn't that, again, sort of highly particular to the person because you're going to do well with different, tolerate different carb sources? Yeah. I think it can be pretty darn general. Like if you're healthy, you can kind of tolerate everything. If you have poor health, then obviously your tolerance is different. But I think it's totally just an individual thing. And the difference from carb to carb seems to be negligible. A lot of it's just marketing. Somebody asked this question on the Facebook page and I didn't really have a good answer. So I'm looking for an answer. Like I'm seeking in my brain and in my database for an answer. The best strength protocol or best source to go to for strength programming? I don't honestly know. Like, I don't honestly know strength well enough to say, hey, this person would be your best resource. Who would I look to who would be like a ninja for strength? Again, success leaves clues. Sebastian Oreb, which is the Australian strength coach, trains Thor. He's very simple, like ultra, ultra simple. He gets people strong. Uh, he's also safe, which I think is great. Maybe. Sorry, who's training Steffi Cohen? She's pretty strong. She does herself, her own. There you go. Might want to check her out. Yeah, that's the next person on my list. So I would say Steffi, hybrid performance. She'd be a person to check out. She's actually coming up, I think, this week as soon as we open up from Corona to do some videos. Stan Efferding, maybe. So you have guys like Mike Zordos who... The problem, again, I'm not going to talk bad about anybody, but the problem with some of the people in science, they get very myopic. They get very dogmatic about, well, this is the best way to do it because data says that. I just can't get behind that stuff. So I have a hard time recommending people who tend to get really myopic in their approach. What's the best type of exercise to improve aerobic health? Great picture, by the way. <laughs> Probably high-intensity interval training. So if you want to improve aerobic health, depending, like looking at the guy, he's obviously very young and very fit. Your best way of improving aerobic health is actually with anaerobic work, right? High level aerobic hit is going to be the best way to improve aerobic health fast. But it's also dependent on your ability to recover from hit because hit can be very stressful to the system. So someone who's a relative beginner to 
training or is not very fit, doing HIIT is obviously not even an option. So we have them doing maybe some low intensity interval training where we're just pushing that VO2 threshold. We're training at that VO2 threshold. For those of you that don't know that terminology, it's just basically like where your body switches from using fat for fuel into carb for fuel, which is kind of this best way to gauge it. Are you breathing through your mouth or your nose? So if you're able to breathe through your nose hard, fast inhale, fast exhale through your nose, you're probably still aerobic. As soon as you switch to your mouth, you're going to go anaerobic, which is your body now burning more carbohydrate, which it's not a bad thing. It just means that you've kind of exceeded the threshold of your body's ability to produce energy from fat. Now it switches into carbohydrates. So you've maxed out that aerobic system and now your body switches into anaerobic system. So I would suggest for most people staying in that range. So like pushing that anaerobic threshold and then coming back down and pushing it and coming back down. So it's like 15 seconds of pushing that anaerobic threshold. So you're not getting over it, but just into it. And then consciously trying to come back down into a more parasympathetic aerobic state and training your ability to go up and come down and go up and come down in a healthy way, I think is a really strong way to improve the aerobic system. Personally fascinated with HRV, what's your recommendations to help increase it? Well, the number one thing by far is improving your aerobic fitness. That will improve your HRV more than anything. Improve your your heart, improve your heart's ability to exchange oxygen with the environment, breathing practice. So proper mechanical breathing will massively improve heart rate variability. Optimizing sleep. CO2 tolerance. Yeah, CO2 tolerance. So your ability to tolerate carbon dioxide will drive your HRV up. Decreasing inflammation and improving your body's ability to use carbohydrates. What do you say, Ash? Sleep. sleep. Yeah, sleep, sleep is massive. Like having a high quality sleep would be huge. Meditation, walking outside, sunshine, sex, human connection, anything that, that recharges your battery. Probably the number one thing is getting in a flow tank. Just like a sensory deprivation, that would be huge. So if I could sleep in one of those, that would be a great place to go. So guys, we're we're getting far into our time restrictions here. We want to give a shout out to our sponsors as Ashley lovely flashes her blue reflection on her blue blocks glasses. Thank you very much for representing blue blocks as we always do. Guys, you know, blue blocks has been a long time sponsor of the podcast. If you haven't already checked out blueblocks.com, do it because they've got awesome styles that we love. Ash, which one are you wearing? Do you know? This is, I think it's called the crystal, but the other cool thing about this, because I've got a couple pairs now and I think you do too, is I actually have prescription glasses because I'm nearsighted. So if you have a prescription, you can get them put into these glasses and you can get like a million different styles that actually look nice. So, I mean, yeah. Oh, well, that's yeah. very, very cool. Good to know. So where do they got to go and what do they got to do, Ash? Fill them in. The code is muscle, obviously. Why wouldn't it be? You get 15% off. And if you go to blueblocks.com, and that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash muscle intelligence, you can go and check out the styles. And it's free shipping all around the world too, which is also awesome because being in Canada and knowing how hard it is to get stuff sent here, free shipping everywhere. Ash, I think we should get our code changed to gun show. A hundred percent. You know I'm on top of that. I'll get everything changed to gun show, 100%. I think we should do it. All right, guys. Thank you very much for being here. We're truthfully grateful for your time, Ash. Thank you for being here. Everyone who, who joins the Muscle Intelligence Facebook community, thank you guys for being here, for your awesome questions, and we're happy to be able to give back. Guys, if we can ever do anything to help you with your fitness, that's why we're here. I've been writing some awesome documents that will be coming your way in the community and on muscleintelligence.com. If you haven't already picked up your free body part guide, if you have any interest in building any weak body parts, 
the place to go for that is muscleintelligence.com. You look right at the top of the page. You will see the body part of your choice. Opt in, no cost to you. You're going to get my guide, which is extensive and detailed. And you're also going to get three of my favorite workouts. One's going to be a strength workout. One's going to be a hypertrophy workout. One's going to be a metabolic workout. So you get to kind of dive into each of them, see which, one, which type you like, which type you don't like. And gives you kind of a taste of everything you're going to need to do to build your greatest body and have an amazing life. Guys, have a great day. Thanks for being here. Thanks to Blue Box. Head over to bluebox.com. Use the code MUSCLE and get hooked up. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.